Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Does he have another family somewhere? You know, I was thinking things like that. But when I would talk to my girlfriends and my, um, you know, my people at church, my mothers in the church and stuff, they said, what is wrong with you? Are you kidding? The man works two and three jobs. So you got a good man. What are you, what you tripping yes, about? Right. I want to take you to right. Jamaica. Exactly. And, um, you know, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. He's there, Cheryl. You know, so what? He doesn't like to take pictures. You're putting too much in it. So yeah. a lot of times I would just put it to the back. I just felt like there's something this man is not telling me. Right. There's something he's not telling me, but I could never see any evidence of it. Everything I told Cheryl about me was the truth. Right. But it was just wasn't my name. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ooh, it, it is story time. And, you know, when we bring you a story, it's a story story. Like, there's a lot to it. A lot of nuggets, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of excitement, a lot of questions. And today is a hell of a story. I mean, it's, it is literally the stuff that, that movies are made of. It's about an unfair environment, bad decisions. It's about lies and loss and love. But more than anything, today's episode is about redemption, forgiveness, healing. Today, we're chatting with Bobby and Cheryl Love. And you may have heard their names before. They've been in the news cycle. People have been talking about them, but you may not. But they're here telling us their true but damn near unbelievable story. And before I jump in, I want you to consider something. How well do you know the people that you're closest to? And how honest are you? about who you really are, about the things that you want. If tomorrow, like tomorrow morning, you found out that your best friend was a bit of a stranger or that the relationship you created was built on a faulty structure, maybe even an illegal structure, and the impacts of that past was going to significantly change your today and your tomorrow. Is your love for that person or your love for yourself strong enough to forgive them? What if it was you keeping the secret and your lies had been exposed, causing the world around you both to crumble? Could you forgive yourself? 
Could you manage the embarrassment and the pain you caused enough to allow your loved ones to remain close and love you? One of the toughest things that I think we do is our ability to not just recognize someone for who they are, but to love them through it, to forgive them through it, to forgive yourself. Could you do it? Today's story is really going to blow your mind. And our guests today, Bobby and Cheryl, have written it. They've written it down and HarperCollins has picked it up and their book is out now. It's called The Redemption of Bobby Love. But before I pass the mic to them, I'm going to take just a few more minutes and ground you in this story. I want you to get the synopsis before we dig into the details. The man you're about to hear and you're about to meet, known as Bobby, grew up in the Jim Crow South, in Greensboro, North Carolina, to be exact. But at that time, his name was Walter Miller. Walter grew up with all the struggles associated with a black man in the South during those times. And while he was a victim to his environment, he also made some choices that perhaps he shouldn't have. Some of those choices led him to juvie. But Walter, who later in life would take the moniker Bobby Love, escaped juvie to Washington, D.C. And that's where he made his way to bank robbery and eventually would take his new talents back down south to Greensboro. Now, long story short, a botched robbery attempt delivered Walter a stiff jail sentence of 25 to 30 years in a maximum security prison. Now, we all have pivotal moments, and Walter experienced one during this time that changed his path and inspired him to be a different man. But racism, personal attitudes, confused identities all made prison life rough. And in an opportune moment, Walter grabbed the change he wanted. He escaped, changed his name to Bobby Love, and began his new life as a strong, contributing member of society who loved his wife and his family. One day, decades later, this 64-year-old Sunday school teacher, church deacon, devoted husband, and little league coach would wake up to find the New York Police Department and the feds knocking at his door and asking him to say his name, his real name. In that moment, Walter Miller from Greensboro, North Carolina, was reborn. That's what we're talking about today, folks. And Wow. Right? Bobby, Cheryl, I'm beyond glad and excited to have you all here. Now, I didn't want to steal the thunder from the story, but there's so many lessons that that you and I got a chance to talk about and that appear in your book that I wanted to give the people just a, a quick synopsis of what in the world to expect today. So say hi to the Wild Black family and tell us just a little bit more about yourselves before we jump in. Hello, I'm Bobby. And I'm Cheryl Love. Um, we live out here in Brooklyn, New York, and um, we're just some ordinary folks that have an extraordinary story. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> extraordinary story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we've um, mm-hmm. we've experienced a lot from uh, this story. We've talked to a lot of people about it, and boy, it's, it's it's really coming together. Like what you just, this introduction you just gave us, it was beautiful. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, I did my best. I, I read a lot of the book and I saw some beautifully constructed passages and paragraphs. I was trying my best to stand up against that. So hopefully I succeeded. But we, we want to we wanna go ahead and we want to connect you all to the Wild Black audience. So Art right, Brother, do your thing, man. For sure, for sure. All right. So just to give you a quick... Intro to what we in now. It's called the Wild Black Ship. Three questions. Two get you warmed up. 
And then we have one final question, which is our signature question that we ask every single guest on Wild Black. Y'all ready to go? Yes. All right. You two been married for nearly 40 years with four children, so I know you know a little something about this first question. Which decade is the best for sweet sounds of getting down? Sweet sounds of getting down. So, (laughs) (laughs) which decade created the best love, sex, romantic music? And you got to hit us with your go-to group of artists. I hear hear the blushing through the phone. Mm -hmm. Come on now. Yes. Come on now. So, we got five options. We got the 60s. That's Mm -hmm. A. The 70s is B. The 80s is C. The 90s is D. And the 2000s and beyond. Is E. Which decade got the best Which, get down to the sound type of thing? Ooh. The um, 70s. <laughs> the 80s. I would say um, C. Sheriff said all of them. The all, of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Sheriff said. The 60s. And the 70s. And the, and the 80s. <laughs> look, e, e, so look, we, we could probably name one from each decade. Bro. Yeah, huh? I'm, uh-huh. I'm placing myself in that. And uh, I would say the 80s. The 80s? Okay. We, when we met. What's the group and, of song uh, that, that that takes you and says the 80s is the one? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was uh, Patti LaBelle's music. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was, it, it was uh, some Al Green. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. It was definitely C. Luke. It was <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Definitely. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Luther Vandross. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, yeah. when you said Luther, I thought you said Luke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now look, look, look. Now, with, so this, is a, this is a bonus question. Mm-hmm. Could you sing your favorite <laughs> song in any one of those, oh, no. those decades? <laughs> you can just give a little doo-wop. Matter of fact, you could just hum it. Well, I can, I can recall some, some nights that myself and my wife, this was when we was... You know, still getting out there now. I used to play. Um, I used to play Donna Summers that song, "Love to Love You." Oh yeah, uh-huh. and okay. that was uh, yeah. that was a long song. <laughs> tried to make it. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're doing I here, Bobby. Bobby said that I, I need feel. a song that was going to last <laughs> right. as long as, as long me. As right. <laughs> right, right. But ain't, got, ain't nobody got time to be changing the record. <laughs> right. For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC, and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers, 
Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. This podcast is sponsored by IQ Bar. Ever notice that every protein bar centers on the body? Get jacked, lose weight, go rock climbing. Nothing is optimized for the brain. My name's Will Nitza, and I actually did something about this by creating the first ever brain-boosting protein bar called IQ Bar. Instead of sugar, carbs, and unpronounceable ingredients, I personally formulated IQ Bars to be super clean, super low in sugar and carbs, and incredibly delicious. IQ Bar is perfect for any diet. Keto, paleo, vegan, you name it. See for yourself why IQ Bar has over 10,000 five-star reviews and is the number one brain and body bar in America. Now get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text BRAIN to 64000. Text B-R-A-I-N to 64000. That's BRAIN to 64000. By texting 64000, you agree to receive recurring automated marketing messages from IQ Bar. Message and data rates may apply. No purchase required. Terms apply. Available at eatiqbar.com slash terms. That's, that's, right. that's right. That's right. Yes. I like it. Yes. Oh, y'all, like y'all have got me a laugh already. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Y'all passed that one. Then go to the second question. Okay. All right. Like, so like Vince said in the intro of the story, um, it's perfect for the big screen. So for each of you, if casting was completely up to you. Who would play your spouse in the film? Cheryl, who would play Bobby? And Bobby, who would play the role of Cheryl? I would have to say for me, mm-hmm. I would say Denzel. Oh, okay, Denzel. Okay, okay Denzel. <laughs> Bobby, you was a smooth one, huh? I see what's happening here. <laughs> um, Cheryl, when we first started to uh, talk about this and some questions were thrown at us. Loretta, I think her name is Loretta Divine. Divine, Divine. Oh. Yeah. oh. As soon as you said she, Loretta Divine, I think about that walk she hit us with and waited to excel. Right, right, right. Come on. Right. Come yes, on. Yes, yes, yeah. Loretta She's Divine, that time. walk. Some of that Donna yes. Summer, we got us a night for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a, a that's gonna be a blockbuster right there. <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's let's get this third question. And this is the signature question. What do you love most about life while black? I, I just love life. Period. Um, I'm um, I'm a you know deacon in my church. Uh, I've done some things and had some. Quite a few girlfriends, white, black, blue, green. And uh, Bobby, don't don't don't, just, don't get yourself in trouble, brother. Don't <laughs> <laughs> was, <laughs> cautiously, sir. That goes back a while, though. Yeah. Yeah. Good cover, <laughs> good cleanup, good cleanup. Come on um, now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just living and enjoying myself, you know. And, Amen. Amen. I love that. Sarah, what about you, ma'am? Uh, well, I have always loved. There's no other color that I ever wanted to be. I'm black. I'm beautiful. I've always felt like this, that I wanted to be a black girl. And um, I remember like even living in a project as I was coming up, I used to be like, I don't want to live in a house. I like living in this project and I like going out to the sprinkler and the um, 
the, the monkey bars and the yeah. different things and how we used to play and all the different things <clears throat> that we used to do. So there was no, I always loved being who I was, the black girl. I yeah. love that. Finding the yeah. beauty in the moment yes. that you are mm-hmm. in then. I love that. I love yeah. it. Okay. I love it. All right. Cool. Well, we're going to move into our dope quote. Now, our, our dope quote is something from religion or entertainment philosophy. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it has relevance to our episode today. And as I was looking for a, a quote that, that really matched the spirit of what we're going to talk about today, a couple, of, couple popped. But this particular one, which is attributed mm-hmm. to an unknown person, like they don't know the name, just fit. So I want to read it to you and then get your opinion on it. Until we have seen someone's darkness, we don't really know who they are. And until we have forgiven someone's darkness, we don't really know what love is. When you hear that, what comes to mind? To me, empathy. Mm. We have to have empathy for other people. Yeah. We have to listen. Um, like with me, how I always knew it was something with my husband, but um, I would not give up on him. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to give up on the marriage. Yeah. And um, he was doing, he was fine. He was doing good, but it was just sometimes he would isolate himself. And I was like, what is that about? You know, mm. and then I would think about when me and him would talk about things, how Bobby would explain to me how, you know, when I was younger, Cheryl, we had, uh, it was the Jim Crow laws and it, there was different um, fountains that we had to drink from. Um, there was a white fountain and a, a black fountain, you know, and that just made me think, oh, let me think about what this man is saying to me, you know, and he said, like, after Martin Luther King had got shot, how James Brown would have to come on the bus and he sung to the kids on the bus and telling them to calm down, don't go looting, looting, and, you know, so that was just like a whole different era that you know, he brought me into right. to let him know. And I said, you know, he been, he's been through a lot. You know, I didn't have to go through that. I was singing in the glee club at that time, you know, singing. <laughs> Living <laughs> a very different I like to teach life. the world to sing. What's the, very different, very different. So you have to be empathized with people and listen. Yeah. I actually want to, I want to dig in to that just a little bit. You, and you, you just said that was how you lived. And, and Cheryl, you talked about how beginning to understand Bobby's background gave you a comparison that you weren't familiar with. You were singing in glee clubs and he was trying to figure <laughs> out where it was safe for him to walk and where to look and which fountain to drink from. So I, I want to dig in and, and start really kind of explaining this story to our audience. Bobby, I, I'd love if you could just take a few moments and talk to us about your childhood, your early interaction with the law and how growing up during the Jim Crow South really impacted the decisions that you made as a child. I had some run-ins with, um, I would go to the, to the stadium, especially when Auntie was playing, and I would jump the fence and come into the game. One time I bought a hat and kept the hat on after jumping the fence, and the cops saw me with the hat on and they threw me out. But as time would go on, you know, I'm about 13, used to come to the community center, you know, so I played basketball over there. But also things were happening downtown. Some of these cats from uh, here in New York 
that come down there and they started to sit in. You know, they asked the people, they said, well, how much does it cost to sit over there in comparison to us at this counter? So the lady said, well, everybody pays, pays the same price for, you know, most of the time on the weekend, people buying hot dogs, you know, used to make a great chili dog down there. So he said, well, why can't I sit over there? They said, no, you sit over here, you know. I mean, you stand over here, you know. So I saw a lot of that, you know, and it just snowballed from there. From there, I got in other trouble in school. I got kicked out of school for um, not going to the office when I was thrown out of a class. And um, that was another strike against me. And then I would... um, I would caught, get caught stealing. But growing up in other areas, I played Little League Baseball. I played football, you know. And But, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I wanted things. You know, it was that was that was the life I was living then. We integrated the schools, and that was a, a fight for the first four months or so. I mean, first three months or so in school. You know, the white kids didn't want us there, and... You know, every day we would have problems, you know, they would try to get in front of us in the lunch line and say, no, it's not going to happen. So there was a fight, you know. We had one black teacher at that school and uh, she she actually, I mean, you know, I'm sure she was afraid, you know. Yeah. And um, it was always us, you know, that caused everything. You know, right. it was never the white kids. It was always us. Even you know? when it wasn't you all, it was you all. Yeah, it right. was still always us, you know. So those those were the things that I can remember as I grew up down south, you know. As I, as I went through your introduction, I know there was a, a point in time where you were sent to juvenile hall. Yes. What was the catalyst for that? And, and then specifically, how long were you supposed to be there? And how, how long were you actually there before you escaped? Okay, I uh, I got busted stealing, and um, this was my third strike. And um, it, it, you 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 it's it's undetermined as to how long you're gonna be there. Gotcha. I got there in this late summer, about I guess maybe the middle of August, and my parents, my mother. And my sisters, my two sisters and my, um, we came, um, they came to visit me and gave me money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I stayed there maybe three months. And uh, I just started watching the, the guards and seeing how things work. And I used to hear this whistle from the railroad tracks. I didn't know where they were. But they had told us that uh, there were snakes in those woods. You know, if you want to run and you run in them woods, a snake going to eat you. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff they would tell you. <laughs> or they're going to poison you. <laughs> you know, they'll bite you and they'll poison you, you know. Well, mm-hmm. I said to myself, I'm going to see. <laughs> so, the, the snakes out there. Wow. For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC, and for three generations has offered them to you. 
When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. Snakes in here, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're right. So um, I can remember on a weekday, you know, the guards would, um, they would mostly work one guard that would, you know, be in in the dormitory. But there were one guard, there was another guard that would come and do the punch clock, mm-hmm. you know, every hour. So I kind of, you know, watched him and I would lay there sometime and check him out as to, okay, when you come at this time, okay, you know, I'll come back to this such and such time, you know. And the guard is, he would come in, the, you know, to the dormitory I was in and he would go check the other dormitories. And he would, you know, go back to his office, you know. And the way the place was set up, his office was about in the middle of the place, right. you know. And the four wings that was in the building, my wing was headed out to the street. When the, if you went through the back door, it led you to the street. So they didn't lock the doors, mm. but you could get the doors open. I put it like that. Gotcha. I guess they were supposed to be locked. So uh, I took my little bit of money I had, you know, and uh. I said one night, I'm going to try it, you know? So I got out the door. It was about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. The guy had just left to do the, do the punch clock. And um, I ran out to the street, and I started running up the street. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. The way I came in with my probation officer. So... There was no traffic out there because we we out in the woods, you know. It's it's not like it's a lot of cars and traffic and stuff like that. Right. So I just ran up that street and ran up that street and ran up that street. Now, I knew that they wouldn't start looking for me with the people that was working because they couldn't leave the guys unprotected Right. that was there. You know, you, you, knew you had a certain amount of time before. Time, yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. I mean, they would probably make phone calls and start to come, you know, make some of the guys that's not working, you know, come in. Mm -hmm. But that was going to take time, too. Right. So as I ran up the street, you know, and I'm looking for this this, uh, train track, and I finally just went over into the woods, you know. And uh, sure enough, I kept going deeper and deeper into the woods on my right-hand side as I'm going up the street. And uh, I see that railroad track, and I just ran that, up that railroad track. I was scared, <laughs> but I kept running up that railroad track till I got to the next city. And, um, yeah. How far, you? City. How, far, how far away do you think that was? How far did I think what? That was that you ran from, from on the railroad track. Oh, on the railroad track, man. That, 
Oh, it was a long ways, man, because by the time I got there, it was light, <laughs> you know. I had left about 3 o'clock in the morning, three something like that, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And by the time I got there, it was, you know, light. And the sun was coming up, you know, and it was lightening up the, the, the streets and stuff, you know. And I walked right into a bus station, you know, and uh, bought me a ticket to Greensboro. When you left and you got that bus ticket back to Greensboro, how did you eventually make your way to D.C.? So um, I did try to go near my house, but not exactly to my house. And this was over there, the school that I was going to then, you know. So I, um, I saw somebody that, you know, I knew that was going to the school where we had, you know, desegregated and stuff like that. And he said, man, the cops was at your house, man. They were looking for you, you know. So I hurried up and went back to Lee Daniel's house. And um, that night, he told me, and uh, he, he bought me a ticket to Washington, D.C. Mm. And uh, I got on the bus that night and uh, going to uh, Washington, D.C. Now, during your time in Washington, D.C., that's, that's when you found your way to robbing banks, correct? Yes. So once you made your way to D.C., you you also found your way into bank robbery, right? Yes. yes. I know the listeners are wondering, how in the hell did that happen? How, how did you end up doing <laughs> how, that? What was that transition like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, when I first got there, I was living with my brother Raymond, and um, I was, you know, I was I, I got jobs, but didn't do that, that good on jobs at that time, also. So um, I stole his car one day. <laughs> and um, after, after stealing his car, he had three sons. I mean, you said this was your so, friend, right? No, no, I was just, this is my brother. Uh, oh, my, oh brother. my goodness. Yeah. Oh. Yes, yeah, my brother. Did you have intentions on bringing it back? <laughs> oh, I brought it back. So you and, bought it. Um, you just bought yeah, it. Yeah, he just bought it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> His wife said to me that, uh, you know, you got to go. <laughs> that you, you got to go. I don't want this around my three sons. You know, that's this kind of way that you like to live and th- do things, you know. So yeah. they gave me a week to find somewhere else to go and live. And my brother lived in Southeast at that time. So I ended up going to my sister's house. She lived in Northeast. So I went over there and started living with her. First thing she told me is that you got to go, you're going to be going to school. So that September, I enrolled in school. And um, I was living with her. I was working at McDonald's and, you know, mostly taking care of myself, you know. Right. Myself and my brother Raymond, we ended up going into a liquor store and, you know, we was wrapped uh, wet towels around our face and they had tear gas in there and we hauled liquor, cases of liquor back up to my sister's house. <laughs> and um, my brother ended up selling it. Entrepreneurship. <laughs> sold it. It back. <laughs> Strong hustle gene. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. I worked in a topless bar. Now, <laughs> <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I met a guy there was a bouncer and he was a big old white cat, you know, and we we got to talking and, and 
me and uh, one of my good friends, we used to hustle stuff in there, you know. We would have fake, you know, they look like leather front sweatshirts, sweater shirts, you know. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we sold those in there, but we didn't sell the real thing. You know, we would go down to DJ Kaufman. They had a Jewish area in um, in D.C., John Savage. That was some of the stores, you know, people used to shop at. Lansbury, you know, and we used to get those um, those shirts like that for about $12, $13. And we would sell them in that in uh, Clancy's for $75. So the guy came to us one night and he said that um, he, can he get himself two of those shirts like that? So as a bouncer, I knew that he, you know, I know that he carried a gun, you know. So I said, listen, um, what, what, where can I uh, get me a piece like yours? <laughs> he said, I'll make a deal with you. So I got him two of those shirts and he let me, you know, use his gun, you know? Mm. And, um, then that's when I hooked up with some of my friends and we went to a Safeway and we robbed that one night. And uh, then in 1969, I got shot in a robbery with um, when uh, President Nixon was inaugurated. And I was in Southeast Washington, D.C. Oh, so you got I, uh, shot too? Wow. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. shot. How, how, I got how, shot. What happened? How did that happen? Well, I was coming out of the store, and um, I'm looking one way, and the cop shot me from behind. He shot me in my buttocks, and the the, um, the bullet went through me. And now I'm arrogant and acting stupid and stuff like that, and they took me over to D.C. General, and uh, they did surgery on me. I said, why do you need to do surgery on me? I told uh, I me, you know? And... We've been telling people, don't touch me, don't, don't, don't do nothing, this, that, and other. And uh, they kept putting stuff over my face and putting stuff over my face, and they put me out. And the next thing I knew, woke up, I was in ICU with both of my arms with IV and a, 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 a tube in my nose, a tube in my side of my chest. And um, one of my arms was strapped to the bed. I had a policeman guarding me, you know, so I, uh, I survived that. I, I went to jail in D.C. I did 13 months in a youth, youth facility place. So when I come out, I haven't learned anything. I'm just still stupid and wild and crazy. So one of my partners, you know, I told him, I said, man, you know, let's, let's go down to Greensboro and take some money. So they didn't have a lot of the uh, modern, modern type of, um, you know, security kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, like the plate glasses and all that stuff like that in some of the places in Greensboro, you know. For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. 
Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. You still counter the counter, you know, the man standing there and you standing on one side and you did your business, you know? Mm. So that's what we look for. And uh, we went down there one Saturday morning and we did a job and came on back to, uh, to D.C. And then we was, you know, we get down, didn't have any money and said, man, let's go get a car. So we would steal a car and we would get down there and we would do it again. How many times so did you do it? Wow. Well, I was involved with like four of them. So I got busted. Yeah. And so what, what actually happened in one of the robberies that, that ultimately landed you back in prison this time for 25 to 30? Okay, it was, uh, they convicted me on three, three uh, armed robberies. Mm. And um, they, um, well, the robbery with it, when we got busted that particular day, it was in the summertime. And um, we went into, it was four of us. We, we go into the place and um, we, we, we thought... You know, I, I, I like to have string, you know, like shoe, shoelaces or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I would tie the people's hands and stuff like that, you know, maybe lay them face down and tie their hands behind them, you know, behind their backs and stuff. Oh, but y'all were, well, y'all were for real, for real with this. <laughs> mm. One of the guys that was with us at the time, he's, he's passed now, but um, he took a sheet from, I don't, I don't know where he got this sheet. He started tying this guy's hand with, with this sheet, you know? And now we're like, man, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Because the guy had looked and saw what was going on. He had started to come into that particular credit union, and he saw what was going on, and he ran out, you know? So we went out the back door, and um, that, that person wasn't securely tied up with that sheet. And as we were running across this field to get to the car, I look back and this guy's there at the back door watching us as we were running away. The guy that was tied up with the sheet is free and watching now? Yeah, right. They're watching us and we're running across this field to get to the car. So we got in the car, we got started and everything like that. And we got to the next city. I think it was Salisbury. I'm not sure which city it was, but we was headed to Virginia. We was on, I think, 85 Mm -hmm. going up north. And um, we got stopped. Two patrol cars pulled us over and well, they, they kind of blindsided us as they drove in front of us. And then some more drove behind us and uh, we were stopped on the, on the street like that. Mm. Mm. And we were arrested, brought back to Greensboro. Now, for any kids listening, I don't suggest you do this, but Bobby, y'all should have whooped my man's ass who tried to tie somebody up with the doggone sheet. <laughs> <laughs> he needed his ass Got completely up. whooped. <laughs> Y'all should have went back <laughs> and said, now you time up right now. Who the sheep where you from? If you're going to be a criminal, I need you to be a good one. Stop playing. Right. <laughs> oh, 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 Light Knight. That's his name. <laughs> All right, so mm-hmm. now, now this time, 25 to 30 year sentence, you, yeah. you are in prison, you have been sent to prison. How long did you spend there? And and what was the catalyst for you escaping this time? 
I was um, first. I, f- I spent a year on um, on appeal. So uh, on appeal, you're not really uh, a part of the uh, population, you know, right. of the rest of the inmates. So myself and one of my partners, you know, we was in a room in a cell over there on um, on the appeal area. So then we moved over to the other area when they denied our appeal and everything like that. So now we go to the diagnosis and everything like that, and they start to, um, you know, tell you where you're going to be working and what you're going to be doing and stuff like that, you know. And they, you saw, you saw the, psych, the psychologists or psychiatrists, and they talk to you and stuff like that, try to get information, or they wanted, to tell, wanted you to tell them about yourself, you know. So I did all that, you know. So they gave me a job in the, in the, in the hospital. So working in the hospital, I was... Um, you know, they taught you how to, you know, do vital signs and things like that. And um, then we had an a inmate to come in that had been shot. And he was uh, in a hospital out there in Charlotte, I think, some city. But he had um, had a, a real bad bed sore. And plus he had, um, he was paralyzed. And after a year of working with him, he walked out of that hospital because he made parole. And uh, he was walking with a lift on his right foot and crutches, you know. And that got me some um, a good write-up, you know, for that work, you know. So the next time I went up for um, what you call an uh, honor grade or, you know, my, to, to move to a, a lesser, you know, a minimum security place, I was moved to Asheboro. So I'm working for a civilian up there. One day... Something happened to the newspapers. So the guy I was working for told me, don't bother those newspapers. When you come through the gate, just come on in, do your work. Don't bother the newspapers. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The next day, the guard that was on the gate told me, we got the newspapers today. Take the newspaper that you normally take up there. So I told him, Mr. Such and Such told me not to bother the newspapers. So that put me in a trick bag. This guard wrote me up for disobeying a direct order. Mm-hmm. They moved me from that, that uh, job, and uh, then they put me in the kitchen. So one day I'm getting ready to go to work. Somebody cursed at this guard. That's a captain walking across the yard. He called him a punk ass nigger, and um, <laughs> I would uh, I would get blamed for that, you know. Because when I came into the kitchen that morning, he said something to me. So I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Yeah, it was you." So what I found out later was he was trying to find you know that voice that said that. He don't know who did it or who said it. But I'm coming in the kitchen. He knew I was up, you know, getting myself ready to come in the kitchen. And um, he wrote me up. So now they moved me from the kitchen to the road. Mm. I said, oh, my God. When you say the road, what does that mean? That's working on the road Mm. with a sling blade and picking up garbage and trash Mm. and all that kind of stuff, Mm. you know? Mm. And plus it's getting cold, you know? So this is... um, this is late, late, no, maybe around September, got into October, 
and it was getting cold, so they issued me a coat. Then I got this uh, coat issued, you know, and uh, I had the bag. So the guard that was on the gate, you know, he worked there on the regular, you know, black guy. He was cool because he didn't really, you know, bother us or, you know, try to cause any kind of things to write you up about. So I went through that gate one morning with the prison issue coat and nobody stopped me, you know? Mm. So now I'm at, I'm of the belief, you know, that I can take my own leather coat and go through there. And um, I'm looking around on this bus and I'm saying, um, yeah, I'm going to get on this bus. <laughs> I'm going to jump off this bus and I'm going to run and try to find the, the, um, the bus station and get me a ticket to New York and, and I'm out of here. So you was running a you play know? you knew was already going to work. You had run this play once before. <laughs> Plenty. Pretty much, pretty much, you know. So uh, I would get up. Um, I had watched a football game that Monday night. And uh, that Tuesday morning I got up. And they used to call our names as we go through the gate to get on the bus to go to work. And I walked through the gate with my coat in my uh, bag. And I went to the back of the bus. And um, sure enough, they went down this real long street. We went to that that. That down this real long street, and as he turned to get onto this other street into traffic, which was no really no traffic at that time, I opened the back door and jumped off the bus and ran into the woods and took those clothes off that I had on and um, put on my coat and I had clothes under me and uh, I was gone. I came out on the other side and just started running, walking, running, walking, running, walking, asked a few people which way I could, you know, find my way to uh, the bus station downtown. He said, man, you got a long way to go. Now, <laughs> what, what, year, what year was this? 1977. Mm. This was uh, November the 8th, 1977. It was my nephew's birthday. Wow. And, and, uh, and at that time, how long had you been in prison? Uh, six years. So you spent six years in prison, yeah. escaped, right. made yes. your way out. And, and this is when you went to New For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC, and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. New York, correct? Yes, I went straight to New York. Gotcha. Now, now Cheryl, if you had to... <laughs> If you had mm-hmm. to tell someone who was unfamiliar with your story, if you had to explain yes. to them who Bobby was when you met him, right, the man mm-hmm. that you fell in love with and, and got a chance to know, how, how would you mm-hmm. describe him at that time? Oh, my. I would say he was a strong, black, intelligent, 
man um, that I fell in love with because at the time I was dating like younger guys and, you know, they take you to the movies or something like that. Mm -hmm. But Bobby, he was really taking me to nice places. Like that first date, um, he took me to see Gladys Knight in the pits. So he on Broadway. Yeah. So he took me really nice places and, you know, I in turn wanted to take him nice places. Like Mm -hmm. I took him to see Ashford and Simpson and, you know, we talked about music and, you know, he was just really a nice guy that I could talk to. He was older than me. So I kind of felt at first maybe that, no, he's he's older than me. Right. But it was something that pulled me to him that, you know, he's a nice guy. I, he, was, he was easy to talk to, right. you know. Right. Yeah. So, Bobby, the, the man she just described in 1984 was different from the man who went into prison for 20 to 25 years. He was different from the man who escaped juvie and who committed armed robbery. There was was a very different person that Cheryl met. What happened in you during that time frame that changed who you were? I made a commitment to myself that I was never, I mean, never getting in trouble again. I found out about uh, these employment agencies you know, and uh, I went down to Fulton Street one day and I see a big old sign, Martinez uh, Employment Agency. So I go in there and the guy tells me that, uh, well, all the jobs are taken for the day, but come come back to ne- the next day. So that's what I did. I came back that next day. I was there early waiting for him to come and open up. And I went to this uh, place and I bust tables from um, from 10 to 2. They only pay you $20 and I have to give him $250 of that, you know. And so as I went to this place to work from time to time, I met, you know, this lady and she would um, help me and she would tell me, just come straight here, you know, and you won't have to pay him the $250, Mr. Martinez, you know. So I started doing that. And um, then she told me about her two, the people that owned the restaurant. She was the hostess. The people that owned the restaurant were called the Garino Brothers. And uh, they actually had a food service where they would take uh, food and uh, in, in uh, 660 Madison Avenue was the Hertz building. They sold food up there. You know, you could go upstairs and have your lunch, you know, and I, I enjoyed that, you know, for a while as I uh, would make sandwiches and we would be in this warehouse downtown doing that. Oh, boy. <laughs> One day they said to me, we want you to go uptown and work in our office uptown, you know, make coffee and clean up spills and take the garbage out and stuff like that. I said, no problem. And plus it was off the books. I was making 150 down there, you know. That was good enough for me, man, $150 a week. Oh, man, that was good. Cheryl, one of the things that that I read about your feelings at the time was You all were together and had a great relationship, but you felt something in your soul that was just a little bit off. And now I know love is blind, but it isn't ignorant. What did you feel and why did you ignore it? (laughs) Okay, so I would always felt like I could get so close to Bobby to a certain point, but then he would shut down, you know, and I'm like, I can get so close to this man. We have a good time. We go out eating, dancing. 
the everything, just having a wonderful time. But like I would um, maybe ask him something and he would just like shut down, like wouldn't talk about it. Um, I noticed he didn't like to take pictures, mm. but yeah, that was strange. As I said, I love pictures and we would always take pictures, but some sometimes every once in a while he would take a picture, but he didn't like taking pictures. And um, that was another thing that was kind of off to me. And when he proposed to me, he said, yeah. He said, when I had said yes, he said, well, you know, we could go down to Jamaica. And I'm like, Jamaica? I'm not going to know Jamaica and get married. What are you talking about, Jamaica? And so <laughs> that kind of is like, why he want to go to Jamaica? That kind of made me think that is going on. Does he have another family somewhere? You know, I was thinking things like that. But when I would talk to my girlfriends and my, um, you know, my people at church, my mothers in the church and stuff, they said, what is wrong with you? Are you kidding? The man works two and three jobs. So you got a good man. What are you, what you tripping yes, about? Right. He's going to take you right. to Jamaica. Exactly. And, um, you know, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. He's there, Cheryl. You know, so what? He doesn't like to take pictures. You, you're putting too much in it. So yeah. a lot of times I would just put it to the back, you know, yeah. the back burner. And like, let me just keep on doing what I got to do. I would have a recurring dream, you know. I would have this recurring dream how this thick rope is coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, what is that about? You know? And I I just felt like there's something this man is not telling me. Right. There's something he's not telling me. But I could never see any evidence of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. of him cheating on me or another woman or right. anything like that. And like I said, he was there. He was taking care of me. He was taking care of the children. Um, he was sleep go to sleep a lot of times, like, but he would always give the money to me. He was doing, you know, he was there. Cheryl, this yeah. is, it's almost not even a fair question because it's impossible, but okay. knowing the relationship that you two had, knowing how in love you were then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even knowing how much you, you love Bobby, obviously today. Mm-hmm. If you could go back, would you play it the same way? You know, I've thought about that. And the answer is yes. Yeah. But it would be where I would know what was going on. I wouldn't be deceived. I had to come to a realization like this man, you loved a man who deceived you. Right. But at the same time, I didn't know, you know, that past, but I knew what he was to me. Yeah. And how he treated me and the children. And how he was a good man. I saw those things, you know. Right. I, I felt like I can do something. I could pull something out of him. You know, that's how I felt. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to stay with this marriage. I love him. He loved me. And he wasn't desiring to go anyplace else. Yeah. He was right there. So, and I even asked him, you know, is, do you have another family? Is there somebody else? I said, you know, you go ahead on if that's how you feel, you know. And he was like, sure. Oh, my God, No. It's nothing like that. He said, I feel good. I don't I don't feel like I want to leave you or anything. So I just um, stuck with it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Bobby, I, w- I want to bounce back to you. So hearing Cheryl say she wouldn't change anything, but she want to know. And then as you reflect back to the conversations you two had before she knew your history, and she would ask you, was there another family? Well, why do I feel these things? When she would ask you, what would go through your mind? 
I would tell her there was no other family for one thing. And everything I told Cheryl about me was the truth. Right. But it was just wasn't my name. Gotcha. She said that my family was bougie. Yeah. You know, she felt that they was uh, thought they were better than the average person, you know. And I, I just tried to, you know, I mean, my sister, my brother Raymond, all of them knew, you know, and um I mean Raymond asked me, he said, Well, what should I call you around your wife? I said, Call me Buddy. Buddy. And uh my sister Jean, she said, just go ahead and still call you buddy. I said, yeah, you know, so we just left it at that. Mm. I mean, that family was loyal. Because <laughs> Amen. They, wow. yes, they did not. I mean, I just felt like, I said, why every time I come around them, I just felt like they they're were bougie. It's certain things Bougies. like, yeah, they uh, come around from time to mm-hmm. time. And they were calling, I would say Bobby. Never, nobody ever called him Bobby. And that was kind of a thing to us. What? Nobody says Bobby. But his nickname was Buddy. This is where he grew up. Yeah. So he took me back to that place. So they called him Buddy. So I just said, that's that's what they call him, Buddy. And that was that. So Interesting, all the dynamics that happen when the mm-hmm. truth can't really come out. Yeah, that's that. That's something I hadn't even thought about the impact mm-hmm. on. For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC, and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. Family and how you all yeah. interact and your relationship with them because this went on for, what, three decades? That's right. Yeah, pretty oh, much. Wow. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a long last time. time. All right. So, so you all... Married in eighty, met in eighty four, married in eighty five. Yeah, you're you're yes. building this life together, right? You you all are, are loving each other. You're having children. There's a, you're a family of of six at some point. Bobby, you you've become a church deacon. You're you're teaching Sunday school. You're you're volunteering. You're you're a little league coach, right? Yes. Talk to us about the day all this changed. Like, Cheryl, I would love to hear mm-hmm. you tell mm-hmm. the story of the day that knock happened at the door. So I usually get up early anyway. It was about 6.30, maybe early in that, maybe 6 o'clock. And um, I'm in the kitchen fixing a cup of tea. And my one of my sons, they're up already because he has to leave early for a class. And so there's this loud knock at the door. And I'm like, who is, who is it? <laughs> And Bobby, he's like, he said the same thing. Who is it? So anyway, it said, we want to A. And 
I'm like, well, who is this? So I went and I went past, opened the door. And lo and behold, to my surprise, when I opened the door, the NYPD, FBI, come in, guns drawn, you know, Mm. and I'm like, oh, wow. They come in, they put Sammy back, ma'am, move back, move back. You don't know who this is. And I'm like, what? I don't know who this is. And when that man said that, I tell you, when that officer said that, that just made the hair stand up on my neck when he said that. Because I'm like, I don't know who this man is. So I'm looking at Bobby like, what's going on? And he's not looking at me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the man, the officer is pushing me back towards the kitchen there. And then I see the officers, you know, they're standing around Bobby and they're saying things to him, but I didn't really hear what they're saying, you know. And then I heard them say, we're going to have to arrest him. We're going to have to arrest your husband and take him in. And I'm like, for what? And I don't even remember them saying anything. And at this time, I really didn't hear about the name or anything. I didn't hear anything about him having a different name. But all I felt was, my God, I said, right here and now, this is what it was. All that time that I was feeling, this this is it right here, you know? And you had that recognition in that moment? Yes, I I had that. I said, this is it, whatever it is. I didn't know what it was, but I said, whatever it is, this is it. This is that thing that I felt all those years. So, yeah. Wow. Bobby, what's going through your mind as you see FBI, NYPD coming into your house, telling your wife that she doesn't know you? What's happening in your your head at this point? If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Okay, they came over to me and they kind of surrounded me. Um, my bed was in the living room at that time, so they would um, they would come and say to me, "What's your name?" I said, "Bobby Love." I was low, and they said, "No, your real name." I said, "Walter Curtis Miller," and tears just. Mm. You know, it swelled up in my eyes. And I'm I'm just thinking, man, this wow. This is oh man, this is it, man. You know, my world is oh wow. Everything, man, is just gonna go tumbling down, you know. I didn't know what to think, I didn't know what to say. They were saying to me, you had a long run, you know, and sure was shouting and trying to ask me what was going on. She said, one of the times she said, did you kill somebody? I said, no. I told her that uh, this was way before I had met you, before we had the kids, everything. You know, this is, this is a part of my past. Okay. And um, Cheryl was telling them that I was a diabetic and stuff like that. But I was, uh, I was devastated. I was, I was, oh, man. It was, it, it, was, was a, it was a mess. It was, I'm trying to get something into him, some cookies to him. You know, they, they I said, he got to eat something. And they were still trying to keep me back. And then I guess they said, just let that lady go. Because I'm like, not listening to them. I'm like, here, honey, eat these cookies. Eat, he has to eat these cookies because he's a diabetic. Um, also, his, it, 
he needed a coat. He had to put his clothes on. I said, you can't take him like this. He needs a coat. He needs on his coat, you know? So they said, okay, okay. And um, <laughs> they let him get his coat. They let me get his coat and things like that and give that to him, but not really no um, getting close to him to hug him or things like that. There's one mm-hmm. moment that I see in my mind. And, mm-hmm. and it's that moment for you, Cheryl, where you say, this is it. I don't know what, what this is, but, but this is it. This, so this is it. I want to ask one specific question. Okay. The moment you heard them turn to Bobby and say, what's your name? No, what's your real name? Mm-hmm. And you heard him say, Walter Miller. What went through your mind at that moment? At that moment, I didn't hear because they were talking low to him. Uh-huh. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that at all. When I came to the recollect uh, to know of who he was, what happened was the lawyer, his lawyer who they got for him called me and she said, okay, Mrs. Love, so when you go and see Bob, no, she said, when you, yes, she said, when you go see your husband, that's what she said. She said, you're going to ask for Walter. Curtis Miller. Wow. And I said, Who is <laughs> I said, that? <laughs> no, I didn't even say that. I said, oh, I said, oh, is that the building he's in? <laughs> is that the building he's in? Is that the facility? And she didn't say nothing. She just said, no, ma'am. She said, but you asked for that name. And I said, <sighs> okay. But I tell you, when I hung up, when I was didn't even hang up the phone completely, I put the phone down and I said to Jesse, because Jessica was still, I said, oh, just like that. I said, oh, Jesse, that's your father's name. Walter Curtis Miller. And it came to me because it's, I heard that Miller, like, that's his sister's name, Jean Levette, no, Jean Miller Levette. Mm. And I put it all, I put it together. And I said, wow. oh my goodness, that's it. That's it right there. Yep. Wow. All right. So for the uh-huh. sake of the, of the timeline, yeah. what year yeah. is this now? What year did they knock on the door? Um, 2015. 2015. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yes. Right. January 22nd, 2015. It was a Thursday. Wow. <laughs> yes. So to, to tie the line together, met mm-hmm. in 84. Yes. Married in 85, mm-hmm. happy couple, four children, yeah. building a yeah. life together. Mm-hmm. Then in 2015, everything yeah. changes. Yes. Wow. Bobby, for, for you, after they've come to the door and they've taken you away, and I, I know you're in holding cells and there's some time that passes, but what happens to a man who escapes prison three decades prior to being caught again. Does it turn into finish your sentence? Is there a, a new sentence levied? What happens in this case? You're, you're not even the same person by any means at this point. What happens to this? How does this move forward? I, didn't, I, I wasn't charged with escape. I wasn't charged with anything. The lady told me that um, you're not going to be given any more time but you are going to be, you're going to have to, you know, your, your, your release date is 2024. They, I went to the diagnostic 
you know, they, they, they take your fingerprints, they do handprints, they take pictures of you, they take profiles, they do a lot of that stuff, you know, and they have you write some stuff like that and, you know, they want to see your handwriting and everything, you know, so anything that they can identify me with, if something should happen, they wanted to have that. So I did that. I did that for two days. And then after, I think I was there for like five five days, they shipped me to Spruce Pines. That was a road, like a road camp. So that's kind of like circular, right? This is very similar to what happened to you the first time then. Yes, yes. So Cheryl, I want to ask you this question. Okay. For black folks, I, I can't think of much that's more important in our success For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to D.C. and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. Than that of a supportive partner, like a partner who prays and listens and is patient and, and, and cares and prioritizes you. So the question I have for you is, how in the midst of this storm did you find the room to still be supportive and love Bobby the way he needed it probably more than ever? Well, I honored my vows. Mm. Um, That was very important to me. And I loved Bobby. I loved the marriage. I loved our life together. And I just felt that he needed me at that time. And thing is, I know that if it was the opposite way, I believe Bobby would have done the same thing. You know, um, there was times when we didn't have much and I noticed how he would give of him. He would give to us first before even him, even before, you know, giving food to himself. He would make sure we had, he would make sure that the kids were taken care of. You know, I, I looked at those things and to me, that he honored that. And even for a man to give you his last name, he wanted me to be with him. And so Bobby taught, like I said, to me, he was a smart guy. Right. You know, he taught me a lot of things. He taught me that I don't have to say yes right away to things. You can tell a person, listen, you can wait. And he used to tell me, if anybody bothers you, you let me know. And I'll, <laughs> you can blame it on me. You can tell them, my husband will take care of it. You know, so he was a man all the way through. Um, and I just felt like I loved him. I felt like I had to support him. Right. 
I wanted my marriage still. And I had even spoke to, because there was a time now I felt like I was going to, um, in our marriage where he wasn't being affectionate, you know, and just like wouldn't talk and things. And I'm like, you know, right. I need somebody who's going to respond back to me. And, you know, I spoke to two ladies my, that are in my life, my godmother and a mother of our church, um, Sister Smith. And one of them said to me, Sister Smith said, honey, let me tell you, everybody has a past and you have to weigh it out. Do you want to be with your husband? You know, so how, how, how has he treated you? How, you know, so that opened my eyes, even though these are like little nuggets, but they were precious nuggets that I needed to hear because I was like embarrassed, you know? We're we're, we're nearing the end and I want to ask two more questions, one for each of you. Cheryl, for you, what Mm -hmm. does forgiveness mean? And have you fully been able to forgive Bobby? Okay, so forgiveness to me means you have to let it go. Forgive and forget. Because if you don't forgive, you know what? Bitterness comes in. Mm. And Lord knows I didn't want that. No, we don't want bitterness. You have to forgive that person because it's it's not only going to help that person, it's helping you too. So it had, I had to let let it go for me, you know? I had to let it go for me too. I had to forgive myself. And so you have to forgive. Amen. Yeah. Bobby, almost the exact same question. What does forgiveness mean to you? And have you fully been able to forgive yourself? Um, I would say yes. Uh, I'm still a work in progress. Um, I've, um, I, I pray every day. I pray four or five times a day. God has shown me and given me so much, you know, in my life that, um, you know, I, I, you know, I watch the, the evangelists on TV. I watch uh, uh, Joe Osteen, and I, I know, I know his, um, you know, this is my Bible. It says I can do what it says I can do. At the end, he does, um, uh, I forgive up my sins and all of that right there. All of that makes me good. Just recently, I told my um, my uh, spiritual advisor, who is Minister Hobbs, and I told his wife, I said, you know, when I come in here to the sanctuary, I, I just get this uplifting feeling. When I come in there, we come in there early on uh, Sundays and we pray. We start to straighten up the church. It's it's just it's so magnificent and it's so so great, you know. And uh, I feel good. I feel good. And um, God has brought me so far, so so far, and He's still bringing me. Amen. To still that. bringing me. Mm, I love that. Well, Art brother, you got anything? Hey, it's an incredible story. Incredible. Thank you. It is. It is. is. Cheryl, Bobby, we we appreciate you spending this time with us. Um, I'm glad that you all were able to survive everything that was thrown at you and find your way to the other side together. Right? Strong love. Strong black love is something I'm a huge fan of. And I love to see this. To the listeners, I hope this story was intriguing to you. It absolutely was to me. I'm I hope that you go out and you get this book. It's out now. 
It's called The Redemption of Bobby Love, a story of faith, family, and justice. Please go out and check it out. With that, Wild Black, peace. We out. For Mervis Diamond Importers, I'm Ronnie Mervis. Along the edge of the African continent lies an isolated coast where millions of diamonds have been hurled by a volcano into the sea. For centuries, they've been scattered by the waves. Entry to the area is forbidden. 200 miles of coast are guarded by dogs and electric fences. A constant battle is fought against the fierce Atlantic Ocean to harvest the seabed. Giant earth movers shift the beach sand, searching for diamonds. The diamonds that are recovered are excellent. Mervis imports them to DC, and for three generations has offered them to you. When you're thinking world-class diamonds, visit Mervis Diamond Importers. You'll be impressed at the amazing beauty of our incredible collection. Mervis Diamond Importers. Mervis means more diamonds, much better quality, and the most value. Mervis is the ringleader for the latest engagement rings and wedding bands. Easy financing is available. For an appointment, go to MervisDiamond.com or call 800-HER-LOVE. That's MervisDiamond.com or 800-HER-LOVE. Put a little spring in your step with great savings rates from Andrews Federal Credit Union. From now through March 31st, you'll earn 3.75% APY on your savings when you open our three-month Spring Forward Share Certificate. Start with as little as $1,000 and watch it grow. Open your new share certificate at Andrews Federal and spring forward towards your savings goals. Get started now at andrewsfcu.org. Andrews Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. APY equals annual percentage yield. For eligibility and membership requirements, visit andrewsfcu.org. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.